Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. So we continue on in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And we call it a gospel because it means good news. Gospel, that's what it means. And, and the idea is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are stories about Jesus with a purpose. They're told with the intent to bring the reader to a place where they make a decision regarding Jesus, a decision of faith. And so Mark is the shortest story contained, and many think it's the first, the earliest written. And the nice thing about Mark is it's like he just gets right to the point. Mark just gets right to the point. It's all about action. In fact, I discovered in my study something that I'd never noticed before, but it's actually kind of cool. I've been doing this a number of years and been reading the stories for many years and preaching and all that, and I'd never picked this up before. came to discover that the story, the flow of Mark, follows uh, geography. It's, there's a geo- geographical part A, part B, part C. And if you look at the map, let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Um, the focus of the early chapters, and there's my little red pointer. People will say, I, you know, I have, to, I have to check this out sign off it and promise to behave because, you know, I've been known to shine this in people's faces and stuff. So anyway, so the the first part, Act 1 is Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. 26. And now, in the story, we do have accounts at this, these chapters where Jesus does go down south to Jerusalem to the center of worship for the people of Israel at the time. But primarily, the ministry is focused around the region of Galilee. And so, most of this, the, these chapters are focused about Jesus' work here in Galilee, the, the ministry. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, we know that he was in ministry for three years from age 30 to age 33. Well, the majority of the des- description in Mark has to do with most of those three years in, in his time in Galilee. And so, we've been working through Mark chapter 1 and verse, to chapter 8, verse 26. And so we got here, and, and the theme is, is that Jesus' ministry is exploding. He's healing the sick. He's teaching amazing things. He's doing ama- uh, you know, miracles that are unbelievable. His ministry is gaining momentum. Every time you read from one of these chapters, you, you hear that there were crowds that were surrounding him. I mean, this is an uptime for him. Then we shift over to Mark 8, 27 to 10, 52. And this is where we will be looking today as we, we go through the message specifically for today. But this section here is this intermediate stage. And it really talks about Jesus starting to head south. And he begins to, to be, go into this direction towards Judea and Jerusalem, where it's Act 3, Mark 11, 1, 16 to 20, where we come to the final week or final days of Jesus, his crucifixion, resurrection, all that important work. And so you have Act 1 in Galilee, and he moves down through this region, crosses over to the Jordan and ends up in Jericho. Um, Act 2 and then Act 3 is here. Now, I want you to understand something regarding perhaps the tone, the feel of things through these different acts. In Act 1, you have the sense that everything is up and positive and moving. But as soon as Jesus begins to shift his attention towards now what he knows will be his death and and burial and resurrection, but as soon as he begins to shift his focus towards that part of his ministry, uh, he begins to get really heavy. 
And you get the sense that, that Jesus begins to become weighted down because he knows what's coming. He, he knows that the cross is ahead of him. And he knows that as he goes towards Jerusalem, he's going to face not, uh, not only uh, the cross, but also the, the pressure and the hostility of the Jewish leadership. And so his mood begins to, to turn. And his focus, there's a sense of intensity and urgency in his teachings. Uh, he, he seems to have a, maybe a little less patience with his disciples who have been with him for close to three years and the fact that they mi they're missing exactly what he's been saying and exactly what he's been teaching, um, begins to, he begins to get really blunt with them. Things are getting heavier for him. Now, you can say on the flip side, part of the problem is that the disciples are starting to get excited. They're, while Jesus is getting heavier, they're getting all pumped up. And the reason they're getting pumped up is because they believe in this notion that the Messiah is meant to liberate the people of Israel from the oppression of the Romans. And so they're thinking, okay, here we go. The miracle worker, the guy that can feed 4,000, 5,000, the guy can stop storms. This, this guy, the Messiah, all right, here we go. We're about to have revolution. We're about to get things happening, and we're going to see Jesus do his thing and kick those stinking Romans out of here and their taxes and their oppression and their pagan ways out of our temple, out of our country. We're going to be set and established as, as God intended, as God promises, a kingdom where the descendant of David will rule and, and Israel will become the pinnacle, the center of the world where the people of God who are seeking to worship God will come to worship him. And, and that's their idea. And so as Jesus begins to head south, uh, things you have this difference in terms of excitement, Jesus is getting heavier and more focused, and the disciples are getting ornerier and more punchy, if you'd like, right? And what you find is in this transition zone, Jesus is continually trying to get it to them about what his kingdom is really all about and what messiahship really means and what his purpose is. It's not a political liberation, as we said earlier in communion. It's a liberation from sin and death, and his work will involve not becoming a ruler, but instead his work will involve becoming humiliated so that he might give his life for many to save them. And so in the story, you have the story of included in this section, and I encourage you to read it, the story of Jesus taking James and, and John and, and Peter, and they go up on the mountain, and there's a situation called the transfiguration. They're up on top of the mountain, and all of a sudden, there's this glow, and Jesus is transformed. His body becomes heavenly. He's shining, and he, two people appear, and it's one's Elijah and one's Moses. And the apostles witness this, and they're like, oh, my goodness. And Peter does his usual foot-and-mouth thing. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Let's build three places of worship, for each one for each of you, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, one for Elijah, and a voice from heaven the lesson, hey, don't, 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 the son, this is, focus on the son. Don't worry about Moses and Elijah. They all pointed to my son. He's the one you need to listen to. Coming down the mountain then, Jesus is trying to teach them all the meaning of this. They come down the mountain. What are they, this is the story where they discovered, you know, the, the other the other disciples, the other apostles are in trouble. They're in trouble because they're unable to cast out a demon 
out of a boy. Now, I had success in ministry before doing that, but for some reason they're unable to cast out this demon, and he's going nuts. This kid's going nuts because the demon's going nuts, and, and, and everyone's going crazy, and they're freaking out, and they're like, uh, what are you going to do? And Jesus is like, come on, man. Haven't you guys learned anything? And he casts out the demon and tells him, this is the kind of thing that can only happen when you rely on prayer and the power of God. This is the section in which a rich man, a man that would be considered perfect in our economy of religion, he not only follows God well, but he's been blessed with wealth. He's a rich man who comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do, I, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments, love God, love people. And he says, done that. That doesn't seem to be enough. And Jesus says, well, give up your wealth and follow me. The Bible says he's unable to do that because he loved his wealth. And we see inside again, Jesus is not coming to establish a kingdom of political in nature, but instead he's called to bring people who will have faith in him. This is the occasion in which the disciples get in trouble because, you know, Jesus is making his way south and they're like, no kids now, no more kids. And Jesus says, stop, let the kids come to me because the kids exemplify what it means to be part of my kingdom, their simple faith. This is the occasion that I love this part of this story where uh, James and John, you know, they're like, okay, Jesus is making his way south. We better, we better move. And it's, it's kind of their mama's boys. Henri, they're called Sons of Thunder, so they're the kind of guys I probably would have hung out with because they like to fight. But anyway, these mama boys, they have their mom go to Jesus and, Jesus, and make a request. Hey, uh, by the way, Jesus, now that you're ready to do the revolution, how about James and John putting in the seats of honor? They get the, the best places in your kingdom. And Jesus has to teach them a lesson like, no, this is not what it's all about. Because the other guys hear about it, the other disciples hear about it, and they don't listen to what Jesus says. They're ticked off because, you know, they ask first. And they're like, what do you got? You know, what do you think? You think you're better? And Jesus has to teach this lesson. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? It's not going to be the ruler, but instead it's going to be the servant. And it's at this place that Jesus says these words, and it's the words that I want us to, to come to as we get into the Scripture. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10. Right, we're going to go at verse 45 and kind of understand why he would say this. For he says, even the Son of Man, that's himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. Now, hopefully you're like, oh, I know why he's saying that, right? He came to give up his life. The work of the Messiah is not to be served as the king to establish a kingdom by power, but instead to use his power to destroy the kingdom of sin and death so that many could be saved. The question I have to ask then is, who did Jesus come to serve? Who is the many? And if Jesus offers this to us, if Jesus gives us this, how do we access that? Who deserves what God gives? And the answer to that question is, nobody deserves what God gives. And the way in which we receive the gift that he gives, the, the ransom price, his life to pay for us to be set free from sin and death, the way we access that is exemplified in a story that follows. Now, remember, the Gospels are written 
with a purpose. They're the story of Jesus with intent. And there's a selection of, of certain stories that, that, that communicate a point to those of us that are reading and listening. And so let's pay attention to, to this as we, we go into the story of a, of a man who receives grace because of his faith. It's a man named Bartimaeus. Jesus is now coming into the region of Judea. He's down in the valley where the river Jordan is, and he comes to a place called Jericho. From Jericho, he's going to go up, up. Been there, made that trip up, and go to, to Jerusalem. So it says this. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, of course, why was there a large crowd? Because they're like, yeah. We're going to be redeemed. We're going to be set free. The Messiah is coming, right? Jesus, with, with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, Mark tells us, which means son of Timaeus. Bar means son of. So whenever you see a name Bar in the Bible, Bar Jesus, Bar this, Bar that, uh, not Bar Louis, but Bar, anyway, um, it means son of. So son of Timaeus. And the word Timaeus means honor. So dad's name was Honor. And son's name was Honor Jr., Honor II, Bartimaeus, right? We'll just call him Bart. Bart was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember Hosanna? We just talked about Hosanna? That's another way of saying Hosanna. Make that mental note. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Why? Because he was embarrassing? Maybe. Well, because what he was saying was politically charged. What he was saying was revolutionary. And what he was saying could definitely got the Roman guards who were no, nowhere, probably really close, like what? Right? Security forces coming down to shut up uh, uh, another revolution. So that's why they maybe probably told him to be quiet. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Jesus asked him, the blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So what do we know about Bartimaeus? Well, we know first that he was a junior, son of Bart, son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus. And there may be some of you that are named after your dad. You're a second, you're a junior. Bartimaeus was a junior. Bartimaeus was blind. Now, being a blind was a significant disadvantage for, to his life. He was unable to work. He was unable to care for himself because of his disability. So he made a living how? By begging. He would go to the, the gate, the main entrance to the city where a lot of trade and commerce occurred, and he would sit there and he would beg. And he probably had a regular place and probably had regular people that would come by. And he survived, he lived on the kindness of others, people giving to him so that he might be able to eat and take care of his bills and, and to live life. He lived by begging. But we also know that Bartimaeus, while blind, was not deaf. 
And he was well aware of what was going on in his environment. First of all, he was well aware of Scripture. He was well aware of the fact that the Scriptures, because he had grown up in the Jews, Scriptures promised that one day a Messiah would be sent to, to Israel. He would be a descendant of David, so we could call him a son of David. And he would liberate the people from their oppression. It was the hope of the nation. And not only did he know the biblical context, he also, listening at the, the gate, was hearing the conversations about this Jesus of Nazareth, whom he didn't see, whom he didn't know, but he heard the conversations and mo most likely was hearing all the chatter and excitement that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And okay, here we go. We're going to have revolution, and Israel's going to be set free, and they're going to wipe out the Romans. And so he was well aware of what was going on. And so when he hears... Jesus of Nazareth passing by as the crowds are going by, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uses language of the Messiah. Uses language very similar to crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Bartimaeus' faith was not in a political Messiah. His faith was in the real Messiah. And what I love about this guy is that he's not afraid, man. People tell him, shut your mouth. And he's like, shouts even louder. I mean, that's the kind of ornery guy I like, right? And he's like, okay, you tell me quiet, I'm going to be louder. And he starts shouting till he gets Jesus' attention. And when Jesus' attention is given to him, he comes to him and Jesus says, what do you want? And he's no hesitation, no like, well, he's like, I want to see. It's a statement of total, absolute belief that Jesus can provide what he wants. There's no hedging his bets. There's no, uh, you know, what's the small print? There's no, well, if you, da, da, you know. No, I want to see and I believe you are able to provide what I need. Why? Because you are the Messiah, the son of David, God's son sent in to set people free from darkness of sin and death. And Jesus heals him, says, your faith, let's make a note of this, your bold faith, your radical faith, as Tim talked about, your risky faith. Because of that, you are healed. And Jesus heals him. And then we're told that Bartimaeus begins to do what? He doesn't say, okay, thanks, see you later, I'm going home now. No, he follows Jesus. He gives his life to walk with Jesus. You know, I read the story of Bartimaeus and I wonder, okay, Mark put this story in here for a reason and he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell me something. And I believe what he's trying to tell me in the story of Bartimaeus is this. That if I want to receive the grace offered by Jesus, the gift, the power of God that Jesus provides, Jesus is willing, but what he's looking for is a bold faith. Exemplified by Bartimaeus, a bold faith. A faith that says, even though I don't see it, and even though I don't have guarantees, and even though I, I may be confused about the specifics, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, you are the one that, that can set me free from the bondage that I'm under. Jesus, my most desperate need is to be right with God, to be connected with something bigger than myself. And you're the one that can do that.
I believe in you. He cries out to Jesus from his need, and when Jesus says what you need, he's not hesitant in his response. I want to see. And it tells me that God responds to those who cry out to the Lord in a bold faith. In a bold faith. And so that may mean that when you're overwhelmed, when you're facing things that are beyond you, when you're in a realization that my life is purposeless, I've earned all the money I can, I've done all the things that I think would give me the happiness that I want, and it all seems to be not. Every time I get one BMW, <laughs> I want another. Every time I have one relational high, I want another. There's got to be more. If you're at that point and you want what God offers, because in your heart you know that's what you need, Bartimaeus is bold faith. It reminds me that living by faith requires a sense of bold. In my prayer life, you know, we pray and we go through the motions of prayer, being in church a while, and we pray these vanilla Namby-pamby, hedge my bets kind of prayers, right? You don't really think about it. Help us have a good day. Protect us. Keep us safe. Give me what I need. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. My kids are adults. A couple of weeks ago, I was reminded of the need for bold prayer. My kids, as adults, think about kids, you know, when they're young, you have to deal with them when they grow up and they get older. They're, they're not as much needing of you to take care of them on, on one level, but the issues that they deal with are just so much heavier, right? So it just breaks your heart when you're helping your kids go through some difficult times. And I was at a point where all four of my kids were going through a difficult time, and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. You know, dad wants to fix. Dad wants to give prescriptions, and <laughs> it's not a good idea. Um, uh, you know, it's difficult, and I just was driving home. I know I was on Clough Pike, and I'm like, God, please hear me. Give my kid wisdom. Give my kid an encouragement. Give my kid a clarity. Give my kid a break because it's just been one bad thing after another. Please help them. And I realized, man, I need to pray more often like that. Bold faith. I remember the words of my mama who used to say, if you're going to pray for a bike, you might as well pray for a red one. <laughs> Bold faith. So I don't know where you are in your prayer life, but maybe you're struggling. Maybe you need to pray for your marriage. Well, pray for bold, boldly for it to be restored and healed and transformation occur. Yeah, I don't know if you're, you're struggling with your job, finances, bold prayer, bold believing prayer, and, 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 and cry out to God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you're dealing with health issues, a loved one, or your personal health issues, cry out for healing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bart shows us that bold faith captures the attention of the Savior. 
Remember I told you that there are two parts of grace. There's grace in terms of your status, and then there's grace in terms of your calling. I think we need to have bold faith in that too. What do you mean, Didi? Well, sometimes we go about our Christian life and we forget that we have been resourced with supernatural giftings, the Holy Spirit. But the only way those gifts are activated is when we are willing, when we are willing to say yes to ministry opportunities. The Bible says that God gives us the spiritual gifts for the mutual benefit of others, and the Spirit gives as He wills. And I've been thinking about what that means exactly, and I'm realized, well, it requires bold faith. It requires bold faith. And so if there is someone that needs healing, I'm going to cry out to God, Lord, give me the gifts so I might see healing. Or if I become aware of a situation, you know, the, the famous conversation, can I talk to you, can I share with you? You open yourself up and all of a sudden they drop a bomb on you. You're like, oh my goodness, what on earth did I just say yes to, right? And they begin to describe situations. You're like, well, the saying is true. Fact is somewhat stranger than fiction sometimes. I didn't know this. I didn't, I, 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 and you're in a place where bold faith there's a spiritual gift called wisdom. There's a spiritual gift called insight. There's a spiritual gift for encouragement. Cry out to God for that gift. Or perhaps you've been moved and you're like, oh, man, I would love to help financially in this cause or that movement of God, and I'm feeling this call to do it, but I look at my bank account, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? There's a spiritual gift of generosity and perhaps bold faith means that you begin to, to cry out for that and, and seek to, to step into that and, and to follow God in that and, and to allow Him to work in, in ways that He does so that you are able to be used by Him to, to bless another because of your financial generosity. Or perhaps opportunity comes and all of a sudden you find a small group being hosted at your house. You're like, I don't know how to lead a small group. I know the Bible somewhat. I know what Jesus has done for me, but I don't, feel adequ I don't feel adequate. In fact, I feel quite inadequate, and I would say that's the best place to be because in that point, the spiritual gift of leadership, the spiritual gift of mercy, the spiritual gift of teaching, but it requires you stepping out, saying yes to those opportunities, and trusting God because that's bold faith. I'm going to share with you a story from a man that I think uh, puts what we're talking about, what I'm talking about, brings it to life. And uh, it's challenging. I think it's perspective changing and right on the money. Ed Dobson is the pastor of Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he has ALS. This is what he says, I have muscle atrophy and nerve damage in my right hand and arm, and I have twitches all over my body. He says, there's a remote possibility the disease could remain localized in my arm, in which case it wouldn't kill me. So I have three prayers for healing. A small faith vision, a medium faith one, and a big faith prayer. When my faith is small, I pray, Lord, I'll give up my right hand. Just let the disease stop there. If I'm a little stronger in my faith, I pray, Lord, stop it right where it is. 
let it get no worse than it is today. If I'm feeling particularly bold, I pray, maybe you could heal me, Lord. Maybe you could reverse this disease. Ed writes, one night I asked my friend, he's the former pastor of First Assembly, to come over and anoint me with oil. He talked to me about people he has anointed who got healed and people he anointed who didn't. He said, you need to get lost in the wonder of God. If you'll get lost in that wonder, who knows what he will do for you. Ed writes, I understood him to mean that if I get lost in the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God, if I can focus not on healing, but on the healer, then watch out. If I can focus not on healing, but on the healer, then watch out. Bold faith focuses first on Jesus. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. When he responds, watch out. I'm going to close with a little exercise of prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Where does that come from? It comes from a deep-seated need. I'm going to ask that we would prayerfully close this time, and I'm going to ask, we're going to kind of wrap this up in prayer, but what is my desperate need? I want you to ask yourself, Lord, what is my desperate need? Help me to be aware of that. And when you become aware of it, then ask yourself, are you willing to have a bold faith? Do I trust Jesus to meet my need? Am I willing to share that with him and give that over to him and to submit myself to him, knowing not the focus on my need, but instead my focus on Jesus? And when he responds, watch out. And so I'm going to close have you have a moment of quiet. Ask God to speak to us regarding the needs of our heart. Ask God to guide us by his spirit, help us to have faith. It's okay to pray, Lord, help me with my faith. The disciples did. Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, a tiny thing, because of the power of God, you can say to that mountain, jump, and it'll jump into the ocean. We're going to go through this prayer time together. As we're praying, I'm going to ask the guys who serve as our prayer ministry to come forward, be up front. After we've finished our prayer, if you want to get up and come talk to them, that's fine. If you want to move on, pray that you have a blessed day. So let's pray. Lord, in this moment of quiet, I ask that you would help us to focus so that we might listen to you and to your voice. Lord, help us to become aware, highlight what our desperate need is, and help our faith. We read the story of Bartimaeus, and 
We long for that kind of response from you, but many times, many of us may have prayed that prayer, and it just seems like there's no answer, and so we kind of say, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. Help us to truly just trust in you, the son of David, to focus on you and to rely each moment, trusting that you will lead us to pray boldly, to respond to ministry opportunity boldly, to believe. So in this moment, as we're quiet, pray that you speak to us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Praise the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.